This week on Rotten or Righteous, we asked the question, should you always go around Chicago? you agree that nothing goes down better after a hard day than a bit of good strong southern iced tea oh well my manners let me introduce you to my boon companions who'll be joining me in a discussion of clarence jordan's biblical aid the cotton patch gospel we got mr luke here looking as dapper as ever with nary a hair out of place but then again, it's easy to stay pretty when your job is non-existent. <laughs> That's right. And with us is Scott Pookie Judge, the town drunk. Now, he's kind enough, but when he's riding the white lightning, he gets madder than my fat grandma trying to put on a good one after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and me? Remember, remember that one time she was trying to put it on, the snap broke and it put her cousin's eye? Mm-hmm. We still call him One-Eyed Willie to this day. And me? Well, I'm Zach Guiler, the man-child that baby Jessica grew into after she was rescued from that well. Wow. <laughs> what? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm amazed. It seems like we find some way offend someone new every week just when you baby think jessica baby jessica don't care she's living her best life now she's out of that hole welcome back she fell in a well it's a, it's a baby named jessica who fell down a deep dark hole she was just a little baby but they rescued her she just looked like a slime covered baby burrito coming up out of that dark hole before we begin, I would like to remind you that you can stay up to date on the latest Rotten or Righteous news by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rotten or righteous. Subscribe to our show and get new episodes as soon as they release on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. Now, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please just subscribe and give us five stars. Don't even think about it. Just, just poke that five star and move on. It really helps us reach a larger audience. And if you like the show, tell someone about it. If you have any suggestions for a movie or television show or Please. book that you Please. would like us to review, or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach us at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com or on Facebook Messenger. Please visit our website, rottenorrighteous.com, and see what's going on over there. And also, if you haven't noticed already, just stay tuned a bit after the closing music plays for a piece of something funny, a blooper, something that had to be cut from the main show. Now, we don't have any news this morning, but we're just going to dive right in. Now, Scott, between his ranting and ravings this week over the fact that he had to read instead of watch something. Um, there was no pictures either. I know. It was terrible. Uh, he uh, still cannot wrap his head around the idea that this is not meant to replace the Bible. And so I would like you to listen to Jordan's own preface to the books of Luke and Acts. He wrote, the purpose of the cotton patch is to replace the Bible. Oh, man. See? I knew it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew it. He said the purpose of the cotton patch, or the cotton patch approach to the scriptures is to help the modern reader have the same sense of participation in them that the early Christians must have had. This approach is explained in detail in the first volume, yada, yada, yada. By stripping away some of the language and the barriers of time and distance, this version puts Jesus and his people in the midst of our modern world, living where we live, talking as we talk, working, hurting, praying, bleeding, dying, conquering, alongside the rest of us. It seeks to restore the original feeling and excitement of the fast-breaking news, good news, rather than uh, it being approached as a history book. 
Now, to be sure, this is a risky undertaking. For one thing, 40 years after I die, this chubby preacher named Scott will not be able to wrap his head around that this was supposed to be a biblical aid. By the way, is that, can is you tell... prophecy? I know, that is crazy. Which, by the way, I'll point out in a little bit, he used prophecy in the wrong term, translating from the Greek in the book of 1 Corinthians. Scott, I never once said that this was going to be perfect. My main argument is, if your biggest problem is that they put Jesus' story in America, you really don't have a leg to stand on. For one thing, it simply can't be done with absolute accuracy. Matching present-day people, groups, and settings with their biblical counterparts involves a good bit of guesswork and subjective interpretation, mingled with the best knowledge one has of both the modern and ancient situation. For example, I've paired the Pharisees with church members and scribes with theologians and seminary professors. This may uh, pinch and may well be challenged. In fact, I gladly yield to those who may do a better job of matching. No one could be more painfully aware than I of the faults and imperfections of this humble attempt to capture the spirit and meaning of the Bible or the biblical writings and to share them with my contemporary or contemporaries. But even so, this is the way they have come through to me after immersing myself in Greek scriptures and in the day-to-day -day affairs of the human situation. With all the shortcomings, then, I pass them on to you with the fervent hope that you may thereby be encouraged and strengthened in your life in Christ. I really appreciate the fact that he admits he's wrong. Of course he does. <laughs> he knows he's not perfect. All he was trying to do is make the Bible more relatable, and I think he succeeded in that fact. But you know what? It's not my turn. Uh, to read or, or to review this, the way that we did it is something uh, a little bit different. Instead of me going through a summary and uh, us stopping and making jokes and laughing at it, uh, each of us were giving a section of the book to read. Luke was told to read the Gospel of Luke or Jesus' happenings. I was told to read uh, the uh, Book of Acts or, or what was that one called? <laughs> I thought that was Jesus' happenings. The doings. doings. Oh, no, that's right. Luke was called uh, <laughs> Jesus' doings. Acts was called the happenings. And Scott was told to read the letter, or Paul's letter, to the church in... Atlanta. Atlanta. Or we know it better as First and Second Corinthians. So, with that in mind, Luke, why don't you summarize the best you can... The Gospel of Jesus' doings. Mm, well, so you may or may not be familiar with what's in the book of Luke. But uh, this is basically the story. It's the same story, paraphrased. And uh, some things have been replaced, taken out. I think it's definitely shorter than the book of Luke. Not quite uh, as extensive in detail and things like that. But it basically takes the story of Jesus' birth and then his life and his miracles and his death and resurrection and ascension, and it moves it over to America, which I will say, you know, the last person to put Jesus in America was the Mormons. Because <clears throat> they say Jesus, I think they say Jesus came and appeared here after um, after, he after he did his work and in Palestine. <laughs> they believe that Je one of Jesus's appearing or appearances following the resurrection was in America where the lost oh, okay. tribe of Judah ended up. That's true, yeah. So anyway, um so basically it just paraphrases the gospel and it goes through all of those stories and all those miracles pretty pretty close to the text everything's paraphrased and then there's replacements as far as um people's names and then a lot of the Jewish the stuff that would is uniquely Jewish or specific to that time and culture, uh, he replaces it with sometimes good replacements, and then other times I think he he kind of misses the mark on them a little bit. What do you mean? But uh, can you give us any examples? Well, I have some examples. Yeah, I have some examples down in some of the other categories. But uh, so one of my one of my biggest issues with it, and where I think he missed the mark on some things, is that he he takes like the the, the gospel starts off with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, mm -hmm. which he names Zach, and uh, like that he's <laughs> he's a in the in the original gospel 
he's a priest who is doing a service in the temple and there's all this you know jewish tradition and, and rituals that he's going through in the cotton patch gospel he is a preacher and he works at the church and instead of doing like sacrifices under the old testament law he's there everyone's just going to worship and so everyone's gathered for worship so i think that's i understand what he's trying to do but the problem is is that if you take out all the jewish part of the bible like how do you even understand what's going on what do you do when you get to the book of hebrews <laughs> i mean how do you even understand that if you if you use this kind of language i'm not sure if he even finished the book of hebrews but um but then there's just some other places where um his stuff has some merit and uh it does help it would help somebody who <sighs> wasn't familiar with all of that Jewish tradition in the first century world that uh, it would help them to understand. So I, I think there's some good and bad. And he, he basically just goes through the entire gospel and paraphrases it all and puts his replacements in a few spots. And I was surprised to see how similar it was to in, in, in the majority of its content mm -hmm. to the actual gospel. So, you kind of already touched on this. Is there anything that you particularly liked, like things that would give this merit that you wouldn't just cast it aside as it just being a, a joke or something that is just abject blasphemy that should be avoided at all costs? I think his pursuit is noble. The question is, did he execute very well? And I think there's a few spots where... The, the paraphrases are good and um, they're helpful to communicate the idea behind it. I think there is a place for paraphrase translations. I would never use them as my right. my main translation, but uh, I, almost to use them as like a commentary mm -hmm. because the language of the Bible can be pretty tricky and it might be helpful to hear somebody paraphrase it. In fact, in my notes, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll write down my own paraphrase to help me get the the thought of what's going on. And so I think there are definitely some, it's, it's helpful in some ways. Right. <clears throat> well, then what would you say is, and like I said, you've already touched on a lot of this, but what is its biggest shortcomings? Or let me ask you it this way. Do you think as you read through this, that Jordan's intention was to create a Bible that could be used from a pulpit? Do you get that uh, kind of vibe as you were reading through it? No, but I was surprised at how similar it was to the actual mm -hmm. text. I could see why somebody might pick it up, and if they didn't know his intention, right? why they might think that. But no, I wouldn't say that I, I saw that as being his intent. I thought, though, <clears throat> that his paraphrase was so similar to the original text it was so similar to the original text uh, that when he did make changes, they seemed almost like random and unnecessary. I, like a lot of the names... Go ahead. No, I, I agree with you there. There's definitely a... Oh, he was a Baptist preacher, as we talked about last week, and I think that there's definitely a Baptist slant when it comes to doctrine. I think it's just about useless as far as doctrine is concerned. And uh, yeah. the names, but I agree with you, the names are confusing. I, keep in mind, I haven't read the Gospels, so I, I started in Acts. I don't know who half of these people are supposed to be, other than they're supposed to be apostles. You know, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know their actual uh, uh, correspondence. Like, Jim, I assume, is James, but that is completely just based on the fact that I know Jim is a shorthand for James. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, he... Some of the names get changed and some of them don't. And there's like no sense to it because the apostles, like Peter, most of the time is, well, some of the time he's called Peter and then some of the time he's called Rock. Right. Which, is, <laughs> which I, I feel like you would need a deeper understanding of the scriptures to understand Rock in the first place uh, rather than just leave him as Peter. But um, yeah, and then he changes like James and John are Jim and Jack. And there's some other apostles that get name changes, but then some of them don't. And then some of the names get left in that seem like they would ne they shouldn't be left in like Quirinius in um, 
in the beginning of Luke talks about the the rule of Quirinius, mm-hmm. and which is a name that comes right out of the original. But he doesn't change that, but he wants to change all the other names. And it just seems like it, it would be less confusing to make a transition from the cotton patch to the regular Bible, because I think that would be hopefully the progression that he would want his the, his readers to take. It would be less confusing if he would just give the original names and leave them as they are, mm-hmm. uh, than swap them in and out. Right. And but, then there's some other there's some other changes that he makes that just seem like completely random that don't assist in right. the understand. You know, I would to help s- people understand. I was thinking about this the other day. Now I li- I work in a very rural community in South Central Kentucky. And so um, whenever we're in the Old Testament and we're dealing with names and stuff and you get to, to some of those uh, Jochebeds and, and Methuselahs and whatnot, um, that, that people get intimidated by that, by reading, you know. Uh, they'll get to mm-hmm. those names and they'll just kind of skip over it. Uh, I hear a lot of, oh, you know how that's what I'm talking about. We're all reading along. Uh, and I think maybe that was his – and I, I and I'm speaking – as if I have Jordan's mind, and I don't. I'm just making assumptions. And I, I think maybe he did some of that to kind of eliminate that fear of reading uh, names. Now, keep in mind, Luke, John, Jude, these are easy names that, <laughs> right. that nobody should have a problem with. But maybe that was his intention behind it. Yeah, I could see that. That that was kind of my my thought about the randomness though like you leave in some of these really difficult names and then mm-hmm. um other simple stuff is replaced now is there anything that it's stood out to you yeah that was just uh, that uh, negative negative things uh you know we talked a little bit about the merit about how it it might help people understand the story a little bit better uh because it's in a modern standing is there anything that stuck out to you that you really disliked as you were reading through Luke? I would agree with the doctrinal bent on a lot mm-hmm. of the translation. Like mm-hmm. he's definitely not in I agree line wholeheartedly. With what we believe, and you can tell that as, as he paraphrases, which is obviously the big problem with paraphrase translations, just in general. That's not just him. Um, but so yeah, there's definitely that. Um, <laughs> and I thought that when he did leave out passages in his paraphrases they seem like important passages mm-hmm. um, and he he included some of the the not so essential stuff and then he would just like randomly leave out things here and there uh, that I felt like were <laughs> kind of important to understand the yeah. overall idea of what was going on in the text and um, so I, I wasn't really a fan of that and I guess I just questioned like, I think his intention was good, but when asking how well he executed on his intentions, um, I, I feel like he, he obviously is trying, he wants the people that he's talking to, to, to learn. Right. Because he, all, all of the doctrinal stuff that Jesus talks about, which some of it is admittedly pretty difficult to understand, like, you're going to have to apply your mind mm-hmm. to understand a lot of that. And I guess I just wonder, like, why not take it a step further? And it it would almost seem easier to me to, um, rather than replacing all of the names of all of these places, like, mm-hmm. why don't you just, like, whip out a map of, of Palestine and have them learn that as well? I feel like it's a lot right. easier to learn the geography of Palestine than it is to learn uh, some of the deeper teachings of Jesus. <laughs> and so I thought, like... It's just a, an odd why he felt the need to replace all these names with like you yeah. know contemporary Georgia names or to replace uh, shepherds with uh, farmers caring for their chicks, <laughs> I just, or uh, the manger is not, is replaced with an apple apple box. box. It's like these people would have understood what those things were. And again, he mentioned making it more relatable. I don't know if he felt like it did somehow, but um, well, let me just his replacements. I didn't feel like were super helpful. One of the biggest things that he did that I, I think is is helpful in understanding the overarching 
uh, or the overarching politics that the Bible is portrayed against, that uh, the, the difference between the Romans, the Jews, and the Gentiles, or the Jews and the Gentiles. I, I think that there's merit in what he did between making the Gentiles African Americans, especially in the 60s, and making the Jews, uh, the good Jews, or they're, all the Jews are white, but uh, the bad Jews are like, he calls them good old boys like 77 times in Acts, or even <laughs> Klansmen. Um, <laughs> I, I think that that's a good analogy to describe the hatred between those two groups, because we don't, I mean, you hear Jew and Gentile, to me, the prejudice, I understand it, but it doesn't click as well as I say the hatred between the Klan and black people. You know, I'm, I'm closer to that. Um, yeah. But at the same time, would that still be as powerful if the Klan was moved over to Jerusalem and the, the, the African-Americans moved over to Samaria? I think that's the main pur- purpose for Americanizing yeah, I, I under, I understand. I think I see that intention for sure, and I think that that would be an advantage. Like you could better understand the hatred between the two. But I, I guess my question would be like, you're also losing a lot right. in that. So it's kind of a give and take. You're you might be um, kind of illustrating the hatred in a way that's more understandable, but then you also lose like a- almost all of the Jewish background which yeah. is so i mean so important to the bible so i guess my my thought is is it worth well what do you want to emphasize right. i guess if you're just trying to to emphasize the the hatred between them like that's probably a good trade but overall comprehension of the bible i would think that might end up not being that beneficial in the end right i i think that i i kind of wish that he would just have left the doctrine out altogether if you're going to tell and, and just tell the story of Jesus, but put it in America, you know, you know who you know who Jesus is. You know, you have the Bible for what he teaches. Now, here's the story uh, set against the backdrop of something you might understand better for you to be able to maybe draw more emotionally to the story and keep your doctrine mm-hmm. out of it. But he, of course, didn't do that. But literally, if he just wrote the Gospels and Acts and left it at that and just here's Jesus's story in America. I, I think it would, uh, it would have gone down better for me personally, but that's actually what I was expecting. I was expecting like a really summarized, like um, maybe a few pages at the most, you know, maybe 10 pages summarizing the gospel of Luke. I thought, but because he took the approach that he did, where he was almost trying to paraphrase every verse and every statement, mm-hmm. like it was impossible to leave the doctrine out and, yeah, I think it would have been more beneficial maybe if he had gone the summary route right. rather than the total paraphrase. Now, and I and I will say that he did kind of stumble upon some pretty good summarizations from the original text, but we'll get into that more when it's uh it's my turn. Is there any passages that you read or remember that uh made you chuckle as you're reading through here? Yeah, <laughs> mostly the, just the replacements. So Herod is old Gene. Old <laughs> 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 <Old> Gene. <laughs> That's only Herod the Great, though, because when they get when he dies and the other Herods come along, they're just they're just Herods. <laughs> I don't See, know why he you felt know what? the need if to do that. Have, that would have been really helpful, though, if he would have given each Herod a different name. That's something yeah. he could have done that would actually have helped keep the story straight. Even for me, as I'm reading through there, I have to stop and go, okay, what chair are we talking about here? Uh, especially when studying... Yeah, because the Herods are a mess. <clears throat> I've, got, I've got a copy of their family tree. It's just a circle. It's really, it's really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Bethlehem was Valdosta, mm-hmm. which is funny to me because I know people from Valdosta. But then we already the talked about Beth- Manger was replaced. Be- with- Bethlehem was Valdosta or was... Uh- or was um, uh, Nazareth Valdosta? I think Nazareth should have been Valdosta, right? Because he was born in Gainesville. Because they keep. Oh, really? Yeah, because they call him a, a Jesus of Valdostan throughout the, the oh. book of Acts. So, I mean, it, it could very well be that he did that, but then he really messed up on the whole Jesus from Nazareth comparison. Well, in Acts, 
What was Atlanta? Or uh, you said Atlanta was Cor- Corinth. Atlanta was Corinthians. Atlanta yeah. was Corinth. See, in the no, gospel, Atlanta was Jerusalem. I wonder if he changed the names because in in Luke, Atlanta was <laughs> Jerusalem. Okay, well, he wrote Luke and Acts back to back, so maybe he did change that. But um, I, I I don't know what. I have no idea. But yeah. Well, anyway. So yeah, manger was apple box, and then uh, shepherds. He, so when the angel appears to the shepherds after Jesus was born, he appears to uh, a bunch of farmers who are up late carrying or caring for their baby chicks. Why I don't know. <laughs> but the high priest is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, <laughs> which is. Which is kind of funny that he would make him that. a slap in the face to Baptists, and here Jordan is a Southern Baptist. (laughs) And then, um, we already talked about the apostles, but then the uh, one thing that really annoyed me was the apostles continuously referred to Jesus as Skipper. Skipper. I was like, of, of all the replacement names... Wow. I suppose it was because he was supposed to be like in charge of their shipping mm-hmm. or their uh, their their fishing boat. I, I don't know. But and then the Passover was the alumni banquet and communion. So that was that was that was different. Well, wow. so those were those were primarily the thing the the name replacements were what I found the funniest. But other than that, I mean, like I said, he was kind of stuck pretty close to, to attempting to paraphrase the text. Okay, well then let's just take this out of order. While it's all fresh in your mind, Luke, why don't you give us your rating? How would you rate Luke on our scale? Um, I feel like it's hard to say because I don't live in like the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at the the Gospels as kind of out of my current era but i'm also looking at this as outside of my current era and so what he's attempting to do for people in the 60s and for people in different social strata uh doesn't relate to me like he intended but i think um i think i would give it i think his intention was noble i understand what he was doing i think he does it well every once in a while i think there's also some harm that's done in the attempt so i'd give it i'm gonna give it like a like a three okay. because I just don't think it was, it was well executed. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Now moving on chronologically and we'll save Scott's rants for last. <laughs> um, hey, I may have had a change of heart read through this and thought it was the best thing ever. Now you guys did bring up, how did he do Hebrews? I, I will say that he kept the language. Of the Hebrews, I, I th- flipped through it while you were talking a little bit there, and he, there's nothing out of date. And so the Jews are the Jews, and the Hebrews are the Hebrews. It's just his paraphrase of what the Hebrews writer was saying. Uh, now, uh, that, I was what Scott? I was just going to say, which that maybe I'd like to read it because it may be actually really good. I mean, it, it, as far as the paraphrase is concerned, it it could be like i said i was just thumbing through it to get an answer to that question but um i I did the happenings which is jordan's equivalent of acts and because i want to stay true to the fact that i write too much whenever i try to do something uh i I would i'd like to give you i've shortened it but it's a summary of acts for our listeners They'll, they'll really get a sense of the cotton patch gospel if you listen to this summary and please stop me if you have any questions as we go through this, because it does go a little bit off of the, the rails. <laughs> uh, it opens up with us meeting Jesus, talking to his 11 remaining apostles before his ascension. And he tells them to wait in Atlanta until they became quote dipped in the Holy spirit. Then Jesus is taken into the sky. When two men in blue jeans tell them to stop looking up, Jesus was going to be coming back. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, all the disciples were gathered together in an upper room with Mary and Jesus' brothers, and I mean all of the remaining apostles, and this included Rock and Jack and Jim and Andy, Phil and Tom, Bart and Matt, Jim Alston, 
Simon the Rebel, and Joe Jameson. And they just... Joe Jameson. <laughs> and they decided uh, that the time was right to replace Judas, who, after betraying Jesus, had fell and busted open and his gut spilled out at the blood pit. Sorry, the blood plot. And so there was a choice to be made between a guy named Barzy and a guy named Matt on who is going to replace Judas. And Matt is chosen to be the 12th apostle. But good news, guys, Thanksgiving Day arrives and the apostles are dipped in the Holy Spirit. Nice. <laughs> that's what I do on Thanksgiving. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. that's the, Instead of gravy, our family uses Holy Spirit. <laughs> but uh, Rock got up and delivered the first gospel sermon. He explained how the Jews in Atlanta had lynched the Son of God, which caused many of them to repent of their sins. When asked how the citizens of Atlanta can atone for the mistakes they made in the assassination of Jesus, Rock responds, Reshape your lives and let each of you be initiated into the family of Jesus Christ so your sins can be dealt with and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter 3 begins with Rock and Jack going to the church, which is the stand-in for the temple, to pray. Mm -hmm. First and, church. Yep. And this, they, does it say first church? No, it just said the church. Yeah. And okay. Acts, Luke did. But, uh, and, yeah, mine said first church anyway. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. At the church, they, they heal a crippled panhandler. And this catches people's attention. And Rock uses the opportunity to preach the second gospel sermon, urging people to follow Jesus. Now, in chapter 4, Rock's sermon catches the attention of, quote, some preachers and the police chief and the old guard. These authorities wanted Rock to stop preaching about Jesus, so they threw him in jail. This didn't stop 5,000 people who had heard Rock's preaching that day to respond to the gospel. The next day, Rock and Jack were brought before the city council, where they were ordered to stop preaching Jesus. Chapter 5, the officers, which is Jordan's name for apostles, continued to work signs and meet publicly. But the mayor of Atlanta and the city council weren't too happy with this, because they had told them to stop preaching Jesus. So they arrested the apostles, but that night in jail, an angel freed them and told them, go, stand on the courthouse steps and keep preaching. Which is confusing because the temple was the church, and now the temple's the courthouse. But I digress. <laughs> the council had the apostles dragged before them again and threatened them to stop preaching. Uh, they wanted to severely punish him, but a Baptist Sunday school teacher named Gamaliel stopped them. Chapter 6 introduces us to Steve, who was chosen by the apostles to help make sure both the liberals and conservatives of Jesus' movement were given adequate food, uh, but he got into some hot water. Quote, some cats from the so-called conservative church from Kentucky and Tennessee, and some from the True God Seminary and Bible College, ganged up on Steve and started arguing with him about Jesus. But they couldn't hold his torch to Steve's logic, so instead they accused Steve... Mm. Of, of blasphemy, of saying some awful things about God mm -hmm. and the Bible, and brought him before the city council. Chapter 7 is Stephen's uh, uh, defense, where he uses his time in front, of the Stephen, or in front of the city council to preach a sermon about Jesus, telling the members of the council that their history led to Jesus. Now, we'll get to this in just a moment, but chapter 7 uses all biblical locations and all biblical names which makes it incredibly confusing. <laughs> when he got to the end, he accused the council of being an instrument uh, or being instrumental in Jesus' lynch, or lynching. And they grew angry about this, and they decided to stone Stephen to death, or Steve to death. In the crowd was a young fellow that watched the coats of the council named Saul. Saul began persecuting the Atlanta Fellowship in earnest in chapter 8, which caused the followers of Jesus to scatter. But God used this for good. For example, a man named Phil went to a city of black people and taught them the gospel. Phil even converted a rabble-rouser named Simpson. <laughs> when Rock and Jack heard this, they traveled to, quote, Harlem. Oh, wow. Where some of the African-Americans were... <laughs> <laughs> where some of the African-Americans were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to work miracles. Now, Simpson wanted that power and tried to buy it, but Rock told him, you and your money can go to hell. Oh, this wow. Is that is kind of what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. 
Brock and Jack preached for a while in Harlem and then returned to Atlanta. Phil got a message from the Holy Spirit to go south uh, to a road that goes from Atlanta to LaGrange, and there he met a Tuskegee treasurer on his way home from a convention in Atlanta. (laughs) Phil flagged down his bus and taught him, and the treasurer decided then and there to be baptized. After after that, Phil was carried off by the Holy Spirit to Anniston. In chapter 9, Saul is continuing to harass and threaten the followers of the Lord, and he went to the governor and, quote, got some papers to the Chattanooga Council, asking them for permission to arrest and return to Atlanta any men or women he might find who were taking Christianity seriously. But when he stopped for gas, just outside the city of Chattanooga, He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you being so mean to me? That voice belonged to Jesus, who told him to go to Chattanooga and wait for instructions. For three days, Saul, blinded by his roadside experience, waited until God sent a faithful man named Harry to go over to Saul and heal his blindness. At first, Harry expressed his hesitance because he knew what Saul had been doing to the good Christian folk in Atlanta. But Jesus told Harry, quote, get moving. For this man is very a very special instrument, which I have chosen to represent me before the people of the world and their leaders, as well as the good white people. For I myself will make clear to him all he must go through to bear my name. Harry went to Saul and restored his sight, and Saul was baptized. Soon, Saul was preaching throughout Chattanooga, until one day he got on the bad side of some white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, also known as wasps, who plotted to kill him. (laughs) But Saul got wind of the assassination attempt and was helped by some of his brethren. And although the wasps were watching the front of his hotel real closely, Saul was able to be lowered down the back into the alley where he made his escape. Paul fled to Atlanta, but no one believed that Paul had genuinely converted. No one except Barney. Barney introduced him to the apostles and vouched for him. So Saul worked in Atlanta for a while until Saul made some enemies with the KKK. So the apostle Saul was put on a bus to go back to his hometown of Tallahassee to keep him safe. During this time, Rock went on a lot of trips, healing and teaching the gospel. Uh, And he lived at the home of a barber named Smith. In Augusta, there lived a black captain named Cornwall, whose entire family tried to live godly lives. God told Cornwall to send some people and fetch Rock from Brunswick. The next day, Cornwall's messenger caught up with Rock, and Rock listened to them and went to Augusta. Rock taught them the gospel, and the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornwall's household. And Peter, or I kept saying his name's Peter because I want it to be Peter throughout this entire thing. And Rock (laughs) understood they were candidates for baptism. When Rock got back to Atlanta in chapter 11, a lot of folks weren't happy that Rock was preaching the gospel to black people. But Rock explained that God's signs that he witnessed in Augusta proved that the gospel was for all. Meanwhile, the gospel continued to spread throughout the South. Soon, word reached Atlanta about a mixed-race congregation in Mobile. The Atlanta church sent Barney to Mobile because he himself was a good guy, bursting with Holy Spirit and faithfulness. Barney stayed in Mobile for a year, meeting uh, with this united congregation. During this time, Barney went and fetched Saul from Tallahassee. In chapter 12, Governor Herod had Jim, Jack's brother, killed, and saw that this plead, or pleased the good white folks. So Herod doubled down and arrested Rock. He intended to have Rock executed after Easter. But just before this could happen, Rock was rescued from jail by a messenger from God. Shortly after, Governor Herod was struck dead by the Lord after a big political speech. Meanwhile, the gospel continued to spread, and Barney and Saul returned to Mobile, and with them they brought John Mark. During service one Sunday, the Holy Spirit told the Mobile congregation that Saul and Barney were chosen to go on a mission trip. Saul and Barney and John Mark hit the road, first traveling to Pensacola, where they caught a bus bound for Montgomery. In Tuscaloosa, they... uh, Face, or they ran into a joker named Reverend Jesus, who was a phony and a friend of the mayor, Sergeant Powell. Saul, <laughs> now called Paul, blinded Reverend, Je- Reverend Jesus, and the mayor was converted. 
From Tuscaloosa, the party went to Meridian, Mississippi, where John Mark gave up and returned back to Atlanta. Next, the two missionaries ended up going to Vicksburg, where they converted some but were eventually driven out of town. Next, they came to Natchez, Mississippi, and were initially successful. But eventually, the good white folks decided to beat and lynch Paul and Barney, so they hightailed it to Louisiana. In Baton Rouge, the people thought that Paul and Barney were supermen. They called... (laughs) (laughs) In (laughs) Baton... Okay. (laughs) It gets better. In Baton Rouge, the people thought Paul and Barney were supermen. They were calling Barney Father Divine and Paul Elijah Muhammad. The back Elijah the black Muslim Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Why, why you want to know why? Yeah, yes. Because the black because the black Muslims of the city wanted to offer sacrifices to the two missionaries, but they were stopped by a <laughs> sermon from Paul. Enemies from Vicksburg and Natchez made made it to Baton Rouge and beat the tar out of Paul, quote unquote and left him for dead. The following day, Paul and Barney moved to New Orleans. Then they returned to Baton Rouge, Natchez, and Vicksburg, and established some congregations. They traveled through Mississippi and went to Meridian and preached the word. Finally, they caught a bus from Hattiesburg back to Mobile. They called the congregation together and told them all about the mission trip. They stayed in Mobile for a while. Paul and Barney were called to Atlanta to settle a doctrinal argument about holding on to old traditions. After they returned to Mobile, Paul wanted to visit uh, the congregations that they helped establish on their last mission trip. Barney agreed and wanted to bring John Mark, but Paul disagreed with that decision. So the two got into a, quote, uh, knockdown, dragout fight, and they went their separate ways. Barney and Mark caught the bus for South Carolina. Paul and a guy named Silas went through Alabama and Tennessee, uh, pepping up the churches in those areas. When Paul made it back to Tuscaloosa, he found one of his new converts named Tim and took young Tim along. Paul made several mission trips, and they went as far as South Bend, Toledo, and Cleveland, Ohio. In Cincinnati, Paul Ooh. preached his famous sermon to the unknown God, but wasn't too accessible. He had a lot more success in Louisville. Paul eventually made it back to Atlanta, but when he did, some wasps from Alabama turned the people against him. They wanted to kill him, and would have, too, if the Atlanta Police Department didn't show up and arrest him. After finding out that Paul was an American, the chief of police helped Paul escape Atlanta and go to a city that was less hostile. Add to that, uh, although there was nothing to charge him with, Paul declared that he wanted his charges tried by a federal court. The chief of Atlanta helped Saul get to Augustus. There, Paul faced several trials, and everyone was still trying to find something they could send him to court over. Eventually, Judge Porky Foster (laughs) and Governor Griffin sent Paul to the Supreme Court in Washington. And then in Chapter 27, Jordan reverts back to the original setting, saying, At this point, and continuing through Chapter 28 and Verse 15, we return with er, with Paul to the original setting in the first century. This passage is simply a travelogue of Paul's journey to Rome, quote, or, or Rome or Washington, to put it in a modern setting and remain within even remote range of the text would not only be nigh impossible, but would add little to nothing to an understanding of it. By making the trip with Paul aboard the ancient sailing vessel, we'll probably get more, quote, feel for it than if we were flying with him on a 20th century jet. At least we'll breathe a wee bit easier through the wreck episode. So, yeah, Paul's taken to Rome after being shipwrecked on Crete. Wow. What? Here's what, a lot what of is busing. your speculation? And I, and I know you probably alluded to it right there, but to go back to the place in the original text in the in the end of Acts, there to me that's incredibly confusing. And I, I, th- I think it's confusing, but I get his point. He's trying to, he's trying to portray accurate emotion, right? And I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between a shipwreck or a plane crash, I would choose the shipwreck. It's less deadly. Pretty much, if the plane is going to go out of the air, I'm I'm hundred I'm like ninety eight percent sure I'm going to die. Shipwreck, it's safer for lack of, of it's only 97 percent so right. no it's lower right. than that but 
and so and so I think he's right that by taking that shipwreck and putting it in the 21st century jet in order to stay with the setting, he wouldn't be able to accomplish the feeling that he was trying to get across. Now, here's a few things that I did like about the Book of Acts. Right in the beginning, he translates the name Theophilus into friend of God. You don't even see Theophilus. It's just to friend of God, which I think is helpful because that's what Theophilus means. And so uh, without having to look at your footnotes, it's just right there. Um, I do like how he described the gift of tongues that was given in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. He said that everybody was bursting with the Holy Spirit and started talking whatever different languages the Spirit directed, which I think is a, a excellent definition of tongues versus people just going, you know, it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> made up spirit language. Then he gives a good definition of um, faith. The ESV reads, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, at- a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. That's, of course, from Acts 2. Now, this is Jordan's cotton patch. Brother men, give me your attention. Surely yourselves know about Jesus the Valdostan, a man whom God backed up with mighty deeds, marvelous happenings, and solid evidence which he presented right before your eyes. That's an excellent definition for miracles and what it was for, backing up Jesus. I am still on the fence between Jews and Gentiles being compared to whites and blacks. I think that because we are 50 years separated from the 60s, that giving the cotton patch to someone today, it would read pretty problematic. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. Because of some and of that verbiage that's in there, just like what you mentioned. And what surprised me, though, another thing I liked is he he fumbles Acts 2.38. But... After that, baptism is prevalent in the stories of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, or Philip and the Tuskegee treasurer, and uh, Cornelius' household. He does say baptism. Here's some things I didn't like. Number one, we're talking about uh, the setting being the Deep South, so why is Judas's suicide not mentioned as a hanging? feel like... <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be real. He just yeah, like that the would be relatable. Out too much. Well, I think I don't think you could have Jesus being lynched and Judas being hanged. I think that was a problem that he ran into immediately in Acts because they're not comparable. A cross is not comparable mm-hmm. to a, a lynching. Um, there are there's clear Baptist doctrine throughout. We've already talked about that. Baptism's not mentioned in Acts 2.38. The temple is called the church right away, which is very confusing. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> it's the foundation of the church in Acts 2. So the church already being there is... is it, it would... It, I honestly... The reason why it took me so long is I had to have the book of Acts open right underneath the, the window I had the cotton patch in and basically read both simultaneously yeah. to keep my head straight um for some reason uh he changed simon the tanner to smith the barber in chapter nine of acts and that just sat with me wrong because i feel like people in the south would know what a tanner is i don't understand why you would have to change that he uses the word hell a lot in acts (laughs) Not talking about the place, but using it as an mm-hmm. expletive a lot. Pentecost was changed to Easter. You can't use Easter as a holiday to be celebrated by the enemies of the church. <laughs> They're hypocrites. Yeah, but it doesn't... Them hypocrites. It doesn't make sense. Easter is the only quote-unquote religious holiday that has any precedence. I mean, at least you can track the date of uh, Passover... Excuse me, they tr- they translated Easter as Passover, not Pentecost. You know, we, we kind of know about when the actual Passover took place, you know? Not saying that we should celebrate it, but 
the whole point is that was the day Jesus was killed. Why in the world are they celebrating Easter when Jesus was just lynched? It makes no sense. <laughs> it don't make no sense. Now, I will say there's been a, there's a few passages that caught my caught my eye and made me laugh. Yeah, this was pretty good. Acts two or Acts nine and verse twenty three, when Paul is down in Atlanta after escaping the wasps in Chattanooga. So he stayed with them, operating in and out of Atlanta fearlessly, bearing the name of the Lord and getting into discussions and debates with the clan. They figured they would liquidate him. So when the apostles found out about it, they took him to Griffin and put him on a bus to Tallahassee. Uh, being driven out of Vicksburg in Acts thirteen. The good white folks, however, got the Ladies Missionary Society and the town's leading men worked up, and they raised a big stink about Paul and Barney and ran them out of the city limits. Both of them told the crowd, uh, <laughs> both of them told the crowd to go lump it, and then went to Nash's, <laughs> and the Lord's learners were just bubbling over with joy and Holy Spirit. And uh, finally, in Acts twenty, Paul thought it was best to bypass Chicago so he wouldn't waste a lot of time in traffic. He was anxious to get to Atlanta, if at all possible, by the Christmas holiday. That's a good idea. <laughs> Always go around Chicago. <laughs> if so, at all possible. I'm, I'm kind of with Luke. I, I can't say this is out-and-out out blasphemy. I think he had good intentions. I think that if you're a preacher and you're looking for a good analogy, as we've seen, there are some good analogies in there, uh, some good illustrations, but I wouldn't hand this to anybody who didn't have a strong biblical background. So for that reason, I don't want to give it a one because it's not worthless. I'll give it, and it was entertaining to read. And this is a podcast about Christian entertainment. If you have a strong biblical background and you want a good chuckle by some of these paraphrases, give it a look. I'd give it a four. It's still rotten though. So I give it a four. All right, Scott, you read the letters to the church in Atlanta. Atlanta. Yes, which I don't know how you summarize this. Oh, so you okay. just talk. Tell us how you feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cover your ears. <laughs> summarize every doctrinal uh, point. Yeah, I, I don't hold back either. Everybody's asleep after my twenty-three page. The, long the one summary. thing I didn't realize: letter to the Christians in Atlanta. This is the uh, first Corinthian letter. Uh, but you guys have indicated that Atlanta was Jerusalem as you look back in the Gospel of Luke and then also in Acts, right? So he must have changed mm -hmm. uh, the city yes. here at some point. I, I, I'm going to reiterate, I've got a huge problem with changing names. Names are important. And I think when it comes to the names that if you have a desire to learn more about the Bible, the, the, a translation that gives you the appropriate names, it's going to be a struggle. You know, Zach, you and I sat through 1 Corinthians with a pretty intensive teacher. We got a lot of background about Corinth and, and how that background then led into some of the things that were going on at Corinth. So it becomes difficult in my mind to, to bring some of that out if you're writing to the Christians in Atlanta. Now, I, I want to point out here before we got get started, or as we get started, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now, brothers, in the same name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I call upon every one of you to be in unity with the rest of your brothers. Let there be no splits in your ranks, but rather be knit together in singleness of mind and purpose. I'm saying this, my brothers, because some friends of Clara's, okay, which is Chloe, reported to me that there were factions springing up among you. You know, Luke had mentioned earlier there were times he was trying to make a pretty good uh, 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 translation of the specific verse. That's pretty good there. That's not bad. But, uh, again, I threw the whole thing out because of the names. And I know, I know. You hater. I'm a hater. This, this follows... Uh, if this took place in West Virginia, he'd no, be all over it. Though. No, no. See, Paul was replaced with Church Hudson Elmgrove. And... <laughs> Church and Elmgrove. You know, and here's here's the other thing. Could I? Jerusalem was. Could I understand? <laughs> <laughs> it would probably have to be Charleston, actually. <laughs> could I understand the Bible no, better though if it was put into that verbiage? 
I mean, I don't, I, to me, I don't understand how I could, you know, how I could relate to New Testament Christianity better if the names uh, were, were given some West Virginia names and, and uh, the cities were given West Virginia cities. I don't understand. I, I can't, I can't fathom how I would understand scripture better. There's a couple places before I started reading that I was really wondering about what, uh, what uh, he would do with. And one of them is chapter 5, verse 9, when it's talking about the sexually immoral. But he says, I wrote, to, I wrote in my other letter to you that you should not mix with tomcatters. Tomcatters, apparently, are the sexually immoral. That may be a 60s terminology. I don't know. Uh, have you ever heard of tomcatter before, Luke? Yeah, I've been called a tomcatter just a few have, times have you in, my, really? in my previous life. Yeah. Wow. I was thinking... One one thing I didn't think about was that maybe this paraphrase also would have been more beneficial, and that language would have been more beneficial uh, before, you know, because this was before a lot of the, like, the English Standard Version came out, the uh, NIV, for whatever that's worth, but a lot of these more modern English translations. And so you would have had, like, King James, ASV, New King James wasn't out at that point. Nope. So, um you know, if you were just if you all you had was KJV and ASV, which are not the easiest to understand in the world, like maybe this would have been actually more beneficial than it is today. I just thought of that. Sorry for interjecting. No, 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 no problem. Apparently, a tomcatter was a member of FVA thirty one, a strike fighter fighter squadron of the U.S. Navy. Hmm. I don't know. That's what that's referring to. But Gonna guess no. No, I mean, because I, I I was like. I was like you. I had the uh, First Corinthians open as I read through this, and it's sexually immoral. Tom I wrote Cat, my other letter. Tomcat was popularized by the life and adventures of a cat from 1760 by an anonymous author in which the male cat was called Tom. No, Tomcat is uh, a verb meaning to prowl for sexual okay. gratification. Yeah. So that is a Tomcat. Very good. So I, go. I found that interesting in there. Over in over in chapter thirteen, that great chapter on love. Uh, as for sermons, they shall be silenced. Now the New King James Version says prophecies, and the Greek is the word for prophecy where he uses sermons. As for sermons, they shall be silenced. Uh, as for oratory, it shall cease. As for knowledge, it shall it will vanish. Um, our preaching is immature. Uh, and then he comes down to say that, uh, where was that? He doesn't, he, doesn't belong, he doesn't belong to a church, which I found that fascinating uh, for, him, for him to say. And that's in, that's in uh, first, first, uh, first Corinthians. Here it is. Yeah. So, Scott, on the, on the whole, you would say it's garbage. that uh, Clarence Jordan's doctrine yeah. is, is garbage. <laughs> we just come to that, that <laughs> conclusion. So is there anything beneficial from well, you know, first Corinthians? There, there are some there are some things I find like the verse I read to you in the very beginning, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, you know, pretty close to the to the biblical text. I mean, there are some of those that are in there that yes, I could see where it would be a little easier to understand certain verses, but overall I, I think this just makes the Bible more confusing and it simply does not allow people to continue to learn and study um, because the names are changed. So do you want me to just to give it a one or do you want to No, I've already got the total score added up here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have do you have I you gave, gave it a, it a one. one though? Yeah, right? I did. I did. So uh, it's gonna be a two point six six. Okay. We'll round 2. it up 6. to a three. All right, well, there you have it. Cotton Patch Gospel is certified rotten at a three. Now, fellas, we have to get back on a schedule that messed up because we had to spend three weeks talking about Battlefield Earth. I mean, that was vital information, but... Yeah, we had to. (laughs) (laughs) It was too good not to. You know, truth Um, truth be told, Zach, in comparison to reading reading the Cotton Patch, Battlefield Earth was a gem. Okay, well, there you have it. Battlefield Earth is uh, 
more biblical and will help you in your biblical studies more than Cotton Patch Gospel. That is a quote from Scott Judge. And keep in mind that Scott's opinions are not necessarily the opinions of everyone I don't on the show. That that's exactly um, what I said. <laughs> All right. Quote it. Well, next week's show actually falls on the 29th of October. And you know what that means in two days. It is. All's Hollows Eve for my Wiccan listeners out there. All of our Wiccans. What's up, my Wiccans? Um, What's up, Zach's Wiccans? We're going to do something that that may be seen as a little controversial, but this was my wife's uh, idea, so you can get mad at her. It was. We we watched a movie the other day that... uh, well, it taught a pretty good biblical lesson in spite of itself. <laughs> and so we're going to do a Halloween special where we're going to just review a movie, no background, no two-parter, no short episode. And the movie we're going to review is, for Luke's uh, sensitive tastes, PG-13 with very mild language. Is that like mild language like um, O Brother Where Art Thou? No. O Brother Where Art Thou did not score a mild language on the uh, parents or the parent guide of IMDb. Trust me, it did not. A matter of fact, there is. It is a film that was not directed, thank goodness, but written by M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong. Which I know is Luke's one of his favorite movie is Avatar, so it's right up his uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, mind you. Not the... oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's so trash. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a horror movie about Beelzebub, and what? it is titled Devil. Playing. Good news, guys. This preview has been approved for all audiences. I'm already too scared. Turn it off. Nope, Night Chronicles. Everything's upside down. I don't want to play this game, Luke. On any ordinary day. Hey, lady, you gotta sign in. Do you I have to like sign in. Don't me. I got procedures. Our lives are filled with chance encounters. Ooh. And random. Thanks for your help. That guy's a murderer. Something tells me that guy's gonna regret getting in that elevator. It's your turn. But today. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, this is not good. It's not good, man. Is this whole movie going to take place in an elevator? Clearly not. We just saw a scene of them not in an elevator. Just relax. What was that? Oh, the lights went out. You all right? You're bleeding. It it feels like something bit me. Is anybody have anything sharp on them? They might have cut her. No. You mind if we search your pockets? Yes, I do mind. You mind if we search yours? Is that Tom Hardy? What was that? It's Tom Farty. It's knockoff Tom Hardy. <laughs> One of these five people. Is not. Who they appear to be. From Universal Pictures comes a new nightmare. From the mind of M. Night Shyamalan. I think it's the guy in the suit. It's definitely that guy. Turn on the Who are you? Devil. This looks not great. Yeah, I thought so too. But it's for free on Amazon Prime. And it's, oh, okay. it's the cleanest scary movie I could find. M. Night. What happened? So did Scott just leave? What did Scott do? I, I don't know. He unplugged his headphones so he could watch the trailer, and then he froze with that stupid <laughs> look. 
I need to screenshot that. All right, I'm going to try to pretend like I didn't just watch this movie three days ago. You already said you did. I know, but I'm going to pretend that I didn't as I get oh. my rating for the trailer. I see. Luke, I don't know where Scott's at. I just sent him a message. His computer is down. Devil took him. Based on the trailer, Luke, how you how you feeling about... Old- I'm having a feeling that this whole movie takes place in an elevator. Mm-hmm. There might be a few scenes not in an elevator. <laughs> but I feel like they just showed those on the trailer to make you think that the whole thing wasn't going to take place in an elevator. Because who wants to watch an elevator movie? So, I'm going to give it a... Um, I like how you called that an elevator movie, like that's a genre of film. Well, it, it kind of is. I mean, hey, have you have you seen that brand new elevator movie? Chris Hemsworth is awesome st- in it. <laughs> stuck in an elevator, like there's a lot of movies about that. Um, name I'm gonna give it, name one one um, movie where you're stuck in an elevator the whole time. I can't think of any off the top exactly. of my head. Exactly, I know I've Me seen neither. some. I've seen a lot of them. Uh, so my rating is going to be minus five for the elevator. And then um, I didn't see any actors I particularly liked in there, so that'll be minus one. And um, I hate horror movies, so that'll be minus <laughs> This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I'm and so last, happy I decided to do this all of a sudden. The last M. Night Shyamalan movie I saw was Avatar, which was absolute trash. So that's going to be minus one. So I think we're at two. Okay. And that will, you know, the guy knew how to use a camera, so I guess he'll get two points. There was no Dutch angles, so already. Uh, there might have been a few. Yeah, but not nearly as many. I didn't see a single filter. I'll be judging this up against Battlefield Earth. Well, then it's going to be Citizen Kane of horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it didn't really tell me much about why it's called Devil. I, I'll say that. I got that there was an elevator, and somebody flicked a match, and there was like a scary mummy guy there for a second. That was like is a that, torch. Is that is that the devil? Like scary mummy guy? I don't know. I'll give it. I'll give it a four. So that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. Yeah, I'm gonna give the devil trailer a four. It caught my attention, but if. I was going to go see a movie in the movie theater. I'd probably pick something else. So I'd give it a four. We'll see how it turns out next week. All right. So that's all we've got for you. Please join us next week as we cover Devil on our Halloween special. And then after that, if you don't leave us because we watched a movie called Devil, um... Our wives are going to come and pick terrible Hallmark movies for us to watch. <laughs> so that's a thing that I forgot about until our wives FaceTimed each other later, earlier this week. And I said, mm-hmm. well, that was a dumb idea. Why are we doing that? It'll probably be better than most of the things we've seen so far. Maybe. Uh, but like I said, for Rotten Righteous, I'm Zach. I'm Luke. And I'm Scott. Well, <laughs> Scott, when did you get back? That was a spot on impersonation. <laughs> Until next time, remember, say your prayers and obey your parents. Before we go. Hey Luke, what did Batman say to Robin before they got in the car? Uh, I don't know. He said, Robin, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Is that good <laughs> <Sure>. enough? <laughs> All right, see you guys next week. Thank you. Scott's dead. What, am I taking too much of your time, Luke? Yeah, well, you might as well just wrap <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't. No, I, I cut a lot out. No, it's good. We're almost it's good. We're, I just got to pee because go, go I've been pee. drinking a two liter of water. Let's use that two liter.